The famed Alcatraz prison on Alcatraz Island was in operation from 1934 to 1963. For most, the thought of Alcatraz may bring up a Hollywood film or some of the most notorious criminals in America. But the island carries a different symbolism to the native coastal peoples of California. The California Ohlone Miwok, which translates to coastal people, passed down an oral history that tells us that Alcatraz was used by their native population long before anyone else discovered the San Francisco Bay. Trips would be made to the island in tule boats for gathering foods, like bird eggs and sea life. It was also used as a place of isolation or for punishment for naughty members of the tribe. The island was also a camping spot and a hiding place for many Native Americans attempting to escape the California mission system. In 1895, the island was being used as a U.S. fort and military prison and 19 Hopi men were serving time on Alcatraz for protecting their children from being sent to federal Indian boarding schools, which we discussed last week. This is Queens of the Minds, where we discuss untold stories from the twisted roots of California. This week's episode is coming out a few days early in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day. Today, we will talk about the occupation of Alcatraz and the Red Power Movement, which demanded self-determination for Native Americans to better the lives of all Native people, to make it known to the world that they have a right to use their land for their own benefit by right of discovery. We are in a time where historians and the public are no longer dismissing the conflict history that has been minimized or blotted out. This is Queens of the Minds. In 1953, U.S. Congress established a policy towards American Indians. Termination. This policy eliminated most government support for indigenous tribes and ended the protected trust status of all indigenous-owned lands. It wiped out the reservations and natives had the choice to assimilate or die out. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs began a voluntary urban relocation program where American Indians could move from their rural tribes to metropolitan areas. And they would give them assistance with locating housing and employment. Numerous American Indians made the move to cities lured by the hope of a better life. It was a struggle for them. Many struggled to adjust to life in a city with these low-end jobs, and they faced discrimination, they were homesick, totally had lost their cultural identity, and, you know, giving a person a home and a job but taking away everything that they are, that's defining a human only in economic terms. So after they relocated and got the job and housing placement, as soon as they would receive their first paycheck, the assistance was done. Termination. This episode is brought to you by the law offices of Charles B. Smith. Are you facing criminal charges in California? The most important thing you can do is obtain legal counsel from an aggressive criminal defense lawyer that you can trust. The law office of Charles B. Smith has effectively handled thousands of cases. They do not just defend cases, they represent people. Charles is intimately familiar with the investigative techniques police and prosecutors use and is able to look at your case 
and see defenses that others can and do miss. Visit cbsattorney.com for more information. Even during the gold rush, no one liked attorneys. And Charles, you will love. Now, back to Alcatraz. When Rosebud Sue Belva Cotier heard the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary was closing in 1963 and that the property was going to be given to the city of San Francisco, she thought of the 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie. The treaty that allowed Native Americans to appropriate surplus federal land. So, she and her cousin Richard McKenzie retrieved a copy of the treaty and thought, if Alcatraz was surplus land of the government, the Sioux could claim it. Belva organized a demonstration to raise awareness and planned to take court action to obtain the title to the island. On March 8, 1964, her group of activists, photographers, reporters, and her lawyer landed on Alcatraz. It was about 40 people. The demonstration lasted four hours. It was peaceful and in accordance with Sioux Treaty rights, but the demonstrators had to leave under the threat of felony charges. The idea of reclaiming the rock became a rallying cry for the indigenous population. Five years later, on October 10, 1969, there was a fire that destroyed the San Francisco American Indian Center. It was a detrimental loss for the Native community because the center provided Native Americans with jobs, health care, aid in legal affairs, and social opportunities. An activist group formed known as the Indian of All Tribes, with the Pipestone Indian Boarding School graduate Adam Eagle and the handsome Mohawk College student Richard Oakes. Richard had co-founded the American Indian Studies Department at San Francisco State, and he worked as a bartender in the Mission District, which brought him in contact with the local Native American community. The goal was to take immediate action towards claiming space for the local Indian community, and they set their sights on the unused federal land at Alcatraz, which would soon be sold to a billionaire developer. Adam and Oaks planned to take over on the island as a symbolic act. They agreed on November 9, 1969. Richard would gather approximately 75 indigenous people, and Adam would arrange the transportation to the island. But the day came, and the boats did not show up. Nearby, there was a sailor watching the natives who were waiting, and some of them in their traditional ceremony dress. And Adam Eagle saw him and convinced him to take his three-masted yacht and pass by the island with him and four of his friends on board. And he did. And as the boat passed by Alcatraz, Richard Oakes and two of the other two other guys jumped overboard, swam to the shore, and claimed the island by right of discovery. And it was at this moment that Richard became the leader of the movement and it became more of a student-driven demonstration. And the five men were quickly removed by the Coast Guard from the island. Richard Oakes told the San Francisco Chronicle, If a one-day occupation by white men on Indian land years ago established squatters' rights, then the one-day occupation of Alcatraz should establish Indian rights to the island. Boom. Eleven days later, on November 20th, 1969, Richard and Adam met 87 Native men, women, and children, 50 of whom were California State University students. 
And so they meet at the no-name bar in Sausalito just after closing at 2. They meet with some free-spirited boat owners. And they sailed through San Francisco Bay towards Alcatraz, not knowing if they'd be killed. Ignoring warnings that the occupation of the island was illegal. Early, early that morning, Indians of all tribes made one last attempt to seize Alcatraz and claim the island for all the tribes of North America using unarmed body and spirit politics. As they disembarked onto the island, an Alcatraz security guard yelled out, Mayday! Mayday! The Indians have landed. Three days in, it became clear that this was not going to be a short demonstration. Richard Oakes soon addressed the media with a manifesto titled, To the Great White Father and All His People. In it, he stated the intention was to use Alcatraz for an Indian school, cultural center, and museum. Oakes claimed Alcatraz belonged to the Native Americans by right of discovery, and he sarcastically offered to buy the island back for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, the same price that the natives received from the white men for the island of Manhattan. Now I'll read the manifesto. We feel that this so-called Alcatraz Island is more than suitable as an Indian reservation, as determined by the white men's own standards. By this, we mean that this place resembles most Indian reservations in that it is isolated from modern facilities and without adequate means of transportation. It has no fresh running water. The sanitation facilities are inadequate. There are no oil or mineral rights. There is no industry, and so unemployment is very great. There are no health care facilities. The soil is rocky and non-productive, and the land does not support game. There are no educational facilities. The population has always been held as prisoners and kept dependent on others. Further, it would be fitting and symbolic that ships from all over the world entering the Golden Gate would first see Indian land, and thus be reminded of the true history of this nation. This tiny island would be a symbol of the great lands once ruled by free and noble Indians. We hold the rock. The Nixon administration sent out a negotiator, and as the two sides debated, the natives continued to settle onto their new land. Native American college students and activists flocked to join the protest and the population of Alcatraz often swelled to more than 400 people. They moved into the old warden's house and guards' quarters and began personalizing the island with graffiti. Buildings were tagged with slogans like, Home of the Free, Indian Land, Peace and Freedom, Red Power, and Custer Had It Coming. This episode is brought to you by Sonora Florist. Snore Florist has been providing our community with beautiful flower arrangements for whatever the occasion since the early 1950s. You can visit snoreflorist.com or search Snore Florist on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram. There's a special website for wedding florals. Visit sincerelysnoreflorist.com to see their wedding work, read reviews, or book a consultation with one of their designers. Thank you, Snore Florist. Also, big thank you to our main sponsor, Columbia Mercantile, 1855. 
Columbia Historic Park's main street grocery store that carries a mix of quality international and local products that replicate the diverse provisions of when Columbia was California's second largest city. It's common to hear, wow, I didn't expect to find that here in Columbia. The Columbia Mercantile 1855 is located in Columbia State Historic Park at 11245 Jackson Street, and it's a great place to keep our local economy moving. At a time like this, it is so important to shop local, and the Columbia Mercantile 1855 is friendly, welcoming, fairly priced, and they accept EBT. Open daily! Now back to Alcatraz. The occupation sought to unify indigenous people from more than 500 nations across America, the Western Hemisphere, and the Pacific. Everyone on the island had a job. The island had its own clinic, kitchen, public relations department, and even a nursery and grade school for the children. A security force, sarcastically called the Bureau of Caucasian Affairs, <laughs> patrolled the shoreline to watch for intruders. And all decisions were made by unanimous consent of the people. A suit named John Trudell hopped behind the mic and broadcasted radio, a radio show from Alcatraz under the banner of Radio Free Alcatraz. The federal government initially insisted that the protesters leave the island and they placed an inadequate barricade around the island. The demonstration was a media frenzy and the protesters received enormous support. There was a call for contributions and a mainland base was set up at San Francisco's Pier 40 near Fisherman's Wharf. Supplies such as canned goods and clothes were shipped in. Visitors and volunteers were sailing in, and thousands of dollars in cash was pouring in from donors all over the country. The Black Panther Party volunteered to provide security, and celebrities like Marlon Brando and Jane Fonda and Merv Griffin visited the islands in support, and the band Credence Clearwater Revival gave the Indians of all tribes a boat, and they christened that boat the Clearwater. Things started to change in early 1970. There was a leadership crisis. The organizers and a majority of the college students had to return to school. And many vagrants who were not interested in fighting for the cause moved in, taking advantage of the rent-free living and then drugs and alcohol, which were originally banned on the island, started to move freely among a select crowd. Then, tragically, Richard and Annie Oak's daughter Yvonne fell five stories to her death from one of the prison stairwells in the guards' quarters. Oaks and his wife left Alcatraz in the wake of the accident, heartbroken, and this left groups of warring activists to fight it out for control of the island. In May 1970, the Nixon administration cut the electricity to Alcatraz hoping to force the demonstrators out. Let's face it, the government was never going to meet the demands of the Indians of all tribes. Next, they removed the water barge, which had been providing fresh water to the occupiers. Three days following the removal of the water barge, a fire was started on the island, destroying the warden's house. The inside of the lighthouse, which was really important for San Francisco Bay navigation, and several of Alcatraz's historic buildings but no one knows who started the fire. Well, I think I do. 
They say it could have come from either side, but was it burn it all down or get them all out? Two months later, President Richard Nixon gave a speech saying, The time has come for a new era in which Indian future is determined by Indian acts and Indian decisions. The U.S. government later returned millions of acres of ancestral Indian land and passed more than 50 legislative proposals supporting tribal self-rule. The termination policy was terminated. In the meantime, the FBI, Coast Guard, and the Government Services Administration stayed clear of the island. While it appeared to those on the island that negotiations were actually taking place, in fact, the federal government was playing a waiting game and just waiting for support of the occupation to fail. And those on the island would hopefully just end the occupation themselves. And at one point, secret negotiations were held where the occupiers were offered a portion of Fort Miley, which is a 15-minute walk from the Sutro Bass, as an alternative site to the island. But they were going to take nothing less than what they asked for. The occupation continued into 1971. Support for the cause had diminished after the press turned against them and began publishing stories of alleged beatings and assaults. One case of an assault was prosecuted, and in an attempt to raise money to buy food, they started stripping copper wiring and copper tubing from the buildings and selling it as scrap metal. Three of the occupiers were arrested, tried, and found guilty in selling some of the 600 pounds of copper. In January 1971, two oil tankers collided in the entrance to the San Francisco Bay. Though it was acknowledged that the lack of an Alcatraz light or foghorn played no part in this collision, it was enough to push the federal government into action. A few holdouts continued to live on the rock for another year. Adam Fortunate Eagle lamented to the San Francisco Chronicle in 1971. No organized Indian groups are active there. It has turned from a movement to a personality thing. Citing a need to restore Alcatraz's foghorn and lighthouse, President Nixon gives a go-ahead to develop a removal plan to be acted upon. Using as little force as possible when the smallest number of people are on the island. The government tells the remaining occupiers they're going to have news on the deed of the island Monday morning. No action would be taken until negotiations are settled. Well, that was a lie, and on June 10, 1971, armed federal marshals, FBI agents, and special forces descended on the island and removed five women, four children, and six unarmed men, the last of the indigenous residents. The occupation was over. An island ledger entry reads, We are about to leave Alcatraz, maybe for the last time. To this beautiful little island, which means a little something, which no one will ever understand my feelings. It is signed by Marie B.Q. of Stockton. And beneath her words, written in capital letters, it says, I shall never forget my people, my land, Alcatraz. Richard Oakes, who had once proclaimed that Alcatraz was not an island, it was an idea, had never left the idea behind and continued his resistance. As a result of his activism, he endured tear gas, billy clubs, and time in jail. 
He ended up helping the Pitt River tribe in their attempts to regain nearly 3 million acres of land that had been seized by PG&E and had plans to create a mobile university dedicated to creating opportunities for Native Americans. Soon after he left the occupation, Oaks was in Sonoma, where Michael Morgan, a YMCA camp manager, was being accused as a white supremacist, and he was being too hard on the Native American children. 30-year-old Oaks reportedly confronted Michael Morgan. Morgan said he was in fear for his life when he drew a handgun and fatally shot Richard Oaks. Oaks was unarmed. Morgan was charged with voluntary manslaughter, but acquitted by a jury that agreed with Morgan that it was self-defense, even though Oaks was unarmed. So, over the course of the 19-month occupation, more than 10,000 indigenous people visited the island to offer support. Alcatraz may have been lost, but the occupation gave birth to political movements which continue today as injustices inflicted on indigenous people is an ongoing problem. The Rock has also continued to serve as a focal point of Native American social campaigns and it left the demonstrators with big ideas. Indian rights organizations, many of them staffed by Alcatraz veterans, later staged occupations and protests at Plymouth Rock, Mount Rushmore, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and dozens of other sites across the country. The occupation of Alcatraz was the first demonstration of its kind for the American Indians. It was a spiritual awakening for the indigenous peoples, and it renewed interest in tribal communities. Many natives did not know what it meant to be native after termination. And they learned of and about their heritage in light of the media attention that the occupation received. It was the first chance that they were able to feel proud of their indigenous background. A beginning of native pride, the kickstarter for a move back to claiming their traditional identity. A revival of language, traditions, an awakening of the native peoples, the tribes, the media, the government, and even the Americans. It was the return of the buffalo. Dr. Lenata Warjack Memes from the Shoshone Bannock tribe, one of the UC Berkeley's first native students and one of the demonstrators' leaders, tells us, we wanted to bring to the forefront that every single one of more than 500 treaties were broken by the federal government. The boarding schools, genocide, relocation, termination, everything that historically happened to American Indians continues to impact them today. They are still here. Now that is a real theft of freedom. A theft of freedom from the ones who were living here free first. So I do not want to hear a damn word about your loss of rights for having to wear a stupid mask. You want to fight for freedom? Stand up for your local indigenous people. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Now please, go out and tell someone the story of the occupation of Alcatraz. Studis. All right. Love you. Be safe. Get vaccinated. Wear a mask. Stay positive and act kind. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Subscribe to the show so we can meet again weekly on Queens of the Minds. Queens of the Minds is a product of the Eureka Podcast Network and was written, produced, and narrated by me, Andrea Anderson. And you can go to queensofthemines.com to buy my book and more. Okay, bye.